Welcome to Speak It On. This program is designed for the edification and entertainment of the listeners and not designed to be representative of a church, nonprofit organization, or denomination. Opinions expressed are solely those of the host. Welcome back. I hope you're well. Organizing the organism. That sounds sounds kind of strange. But I think uh, in my studies of the church, uh, it always fascinates me how different churches, especially today, find ways to do ministry. Um, I'm reading a book on church leadership. Brilliant book. I love it. The book itself is actually by Lawrence Richards and Clyde Holtke. And part of the points that they make, uh, which I agree with a lot, have to do with the fact that the church is not in its essential essence, in its essence, an organization. A church has organization because it is an organism. Any living organism has organization. It has some things that that are definite to an organism, like most organisms have a central con- you know, control center, which we would call a brain, uh, where even the most basic organisms uh, get signals sent. But in Jesus' situation, he compares the church to a body, a human body, which means humans have a head, they have arms, they have legs, they have organs, torso, all that fun stuff. So the thing is, A organism has organization, but it is not an organization. Now, that seems like, uh, that sounds like double talk. I don't understand what you're talking about. Well, I think one of the, one of the most large, huge complications that we run into with church nowadays is people just really don't know what it is anymore, necessarily. They know kind of what it's supposed to do. They know what Jesus has said it is. But they really don't know, you know, kind of what does that mean. And we've got different kinds of church government, and I've mentioned those those before. But let's let's kind of go back to grassroots for a moment. And let's look at a passage in Acts, which if you are into history, then that's fantastic. If you're not, please try, because history is fantastically important. And as far as a, uh, as far as a pastor goes, or a minister of any kind, they should have four tools on board if they're going to divide the word of truth 
and this is just in my humble opinion, uh, they need to know uh, history, culture, languages, biblical languages, and archaeology. Now, why archaeology? That sounds kind of kind of crazy, because really it helps ground us in the fact that this stuff is real. It is real. It is historical. It is evidential. Not all archaeology just jumps right out and, and proves something on a one-to-one ratio, but it adds to the body of knowledge. Especially for a minister to be able to look at context. All of the things that I've just said have to do with context. Now, in the book of Acts, chapter 6, verse 1, this section is where the deacons are being uh, being selected, which is a function. Uh, now we call it an office, a church office. Like all of a sudden you get this huge corner penthouse uh, overlooking Manhattan Boulevard or something. An office. No, no, it's a function. It's a jo- it's a job, yeah, but it's it's a function. It's something someone is equipped by God to do. So, in this situation, we're going to go from uh, six one to six four. And it works this way. I'm doing the ESV. It says, Now, in these days, when the disciples, and that's all the disciples, a little side note, were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. All right. So, here's what I love about this passage. It sets some principles straight up front. First of all, they're not ignoring the congregation. All right. They're not basically sitting in their ivory tower you know, let let them eat cake, you know. They're not lording it over them. They're concerned, all right? However, and the 12, this would be the 12 minus, or, or actually the 11, plus I believe Matthias was selected to replace Judas. So that brought him back up to the 12, so it says that they summoned, summoned the full number of the disciples. Now look, you know, here's the thing, and, and, and this is a principle I love to emphasize a little bit, because 
the full number of disciples, there were more disciples of Jesus than 12. We call them the 12 disciples. Yeah, there were 12 disciples. But more accurately, you could call them the 12 apostles because those are the guys. Because apostle is a fancy word that means to one who is sent out. And that's what he did. That's what Jesus did. And they, these guys, 12 of them were the apostles, but there were a bunch of disciples, a whole bunch. And there were a ton of male and female disciples. All right? Now, the focus that they say they assemble the full number of the disciples so they can handle this thing. They get the congregation together. They have a business meeting. And they say, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So, was, now, does this mean they didn't care? No. What this means is, is they knew what their place in the food chain was supposed to be. And that was preaching the word of God. Now, I am very certain that, that the 12 were very involved in helping other people, all right? But at this point, if, you, if you, we can't ignore what, what Acts 6.1 says. So now, in these days, the disciples were increasing in number. In other words, you know, and they were, according to all practical research, uh, increasing pretty fast, I mean, just at uh, Pentecost, it said, I believe, uh, I believe there were 3,000? 3,000? Gee, 300 or 3,000. That's a, that's a difference, though, huh? But I believe it was 3,000 that were added to the number. I mean, so they're growing. Now, there were also two different kinds. Now, the Hellenists were not... It, it, it sounds like they're, they're putting the Greeks on this side and, and the Hebrews on this side. But in essence, they're all Jewish. The Hellenists were Jewish people who had adopted Roman lifestyle. All right? So they dressed Roman, they did their hair Roman, they went to Roman Roman events and all this other stuff. They had their kids trained in Roman literature and in Roman education and things of that nature. All right? So they were all Jewish. It's just there were a group that were that were, <clears throat> had had done what they call Hellenize and that means they were more into Greek Roman culture. All right? And then you had the ones that were basically, they called them the Hebrews, but they were Jewish also, but they were more, they, they were the ones that hardcore said, nah, we don't want any part of that Roman culture, we hate those people. So there appeared to be, <laughs> as every church would have, even then, a complication. And the complication was this. Guess what? The people that were not liked as much, in other words, the people who were really kind of Roman-ish, Greek-ish, 
uh, were looked down on because, in a way, it kind of, they felt like they were traitors, okay? Kind of had that taste in their mouths about it. But now they were all believers, though, okay? And, and they're, everybody's equal in the sun of, in, in, under the sun of the living God, and the sun is Jesus, right? So here's the thing. There was a problem in the daily distribution. When they say distribution, they mean food and support. They were supporting each other. They were helping each other. They were, if somebody needed a little money to do something, they, they helped with that. But, but more often than not, that came in the form of daily food and, and things of that nature. Okay? So, basically... The twelve disciples said, "Look, we 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 need to be teaching what Jesus taught us. We need to be doing that. And as much as it would be great if we could, you know, run around, there's just too many people. So we need to be doing this, and we need some guys that are that that are. And I, I love this is the description. Number one, have good reputation. Number two, they're full of the spirit and wisdom." I've seen some uh, some brothers that are really full of the Spirit, but they don't sometimes get with the Spirit on things. You know, wisdom doesn't always, unfortunately, go with that sometimes. You can get somebody really full of the Spirit and, and zeal that, unfortunately, uh, go into stuff like, like, uh, like a freight train, and that doesn't always help, but... Uh, spirit and of wisdom who they can appoint to the duty. And then here's the thing that the apostles do. And a lot of preachers just love to think of themselves as apostles. Some people even call themselves apostles, which is fine. Because all that term really means is one who is sent out. It's a little strange to me that if you're sent out, you stay in the same church all the time. And you call yourself an apostle. But oh well. Um, so the thing is... Uh, they say, uh, we'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So there you have it. I mean, literally, that's the focus. Now, is that the only things that the apostles were doing? No, but this was the focus. They said, if we don't do anything else, we need to be doing these two things. We need to be praying for everybody, I'm sure, and ministering the word, teaching, right? Now, it's interesting to note that these deacons, they set up, and by the way, deacon comes from the word dekonolos in the Greek, which basically means servant. And unfortunately, there's a lot of deacons and a lot of churches that are doing a whole lot of stuff that are that sounds like a lot more of administration than than of course I guess that's a service too, right? But um, but basically, the idea here is waiting tables, right? Because that's what the the, the apostles are saying. So they're supposed to be. Helping, they're the hands and feet 
Not the only hands and feet, by the way, because here's, you know, in the deacon duties, they're supposed to be helping the members of the church, yes, but uh, not all by their little lonesomes. Maybe they can target people that need help and then spearhead that help, you know. So anyway, Stephen was one of these, and Stephen, of course, was the first martyr in the New Testament. He, he, he was stoned, and he gave a very long defense, and it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Uh, so it wasn't that Stephen and these guys weren't capable of teaching. It's just, again, we're looking at the focus. The focus was service. Hand and feet and body service. Because the apostles were supposed to be ministering the word of God and praying. Now, so, what is it that a preacher ought to be doing? Well, if we're going to take this passage and we're, you know, and... And say, look, you know, maybe maybe our preachers aren't apostles, so to speak, but they are sent. And if God's put their hand on them, then they need to be ministering the word and praying for people. For themselves, for the church, for people. They need to be doing that. And I believe probably no one would argue that most preachers are pretty heavy on the prayer end. Uh... And really, really light sometimes on on the word side. A lot of, a lot of real, uh, touchy feely kind of stuff. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of warm fuzzies uh, trying to go out. And the ministry of the word, I'll be very honest with you, should change us when you hear. A sermon anointed by God. It should be a moment when you say to yourself, I need to become better at X, Y, or Z. It ought to inspire you to be better for the Lord. In some way. If it doesn't do that, Something's wrong. Because even if you get information, okay, just sheer information, you can realize, and, and this is what I'm very confident of, if we get information, good information, about the Word of God, it that also helps us connect to the Word in a more personal way and makes it more real. That's why people think, oh man, I don't need this Greek and Hebrew, that stuff's complicated, I don't need all this history stuff, that stuff's complicated, I don't need any of that, that church history, man, that stuff's boring, yeah, but it's real, all of it, <laughs> and, and that's our job, is to be a bridge, so that you realize that every word in the Word of God is real and powerful, and it will change you if you will allow it to. So, how do we organize the organism? 
We do that by doing our duties, our, our focuses. The ministry of the church is not the staff. It's the congregation. And the pastors, whatever they call themselves, there's pastors of everything now. But if you got the word pastor on you, you better know the blooming word of God. And you better know how to teach it. Otherwise, you're not a pastor. I don't know what you are, but you might be a preacher or an evangelist. But the job of a bishop, pastor, is to guide and deliver the Word of God. That's the primary function. And if they're not doing that, I don't know what you got. You're looking at a three-headed cat. I don't know. So, that being the case, think about it. And the next time you hear a really good sermon out of, out of a preacher, all right, and I mean it's an educated, thought-out sermon that makes you want to change to be better for God. Would you please let them know that? I'm begging you. <laughs> because feedback is key. Most preachers are scared to blooming death. They're going to lose their job. Because they're going to hack someone off in the I'm better than you pew. So, with that in mind, thank you for listening to this edition of Speak It On. If you would like to support this ministry, then please go to Patreon under L.A. Blackburn. May God bless every effort you make to do His will in His Word.